0: Father, thank you so much for just the way you've blessed us this morning and allowing us to be able to consider even adversity and, and hardship in this world, whether it's losing friends or losing loved ones, um, struggling. It's amazing that while we've been singing about even those kinds of things today, we've been singing about how, how you are trustworthy and, and how you are the very one that we can always count on. And that we can know that that is true because our sins have been paid for not in part but in whole. And and what a great, great encouragement it is to our souls today. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you for other Christians who have gone before us. Even even for Christians who, who have suffered greatly before us. So that we might find some encouragement ourselves along the way. Please use us in the lives of others. Uh, to help encourage them also in their pilgrimage. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a simple question. And the simple question is, where does, where does spiritual maturity come from? Where does spiritual maturity come from? It's a pretty simple question. I would imagine you could give me a good answer, many of you. I imagine many of you, if not most of you, could give me several good answers. Some of you are thinking, well, spiritual maturity comes from God. Good job. Now, you're just like my kids after Sunday school. What did you learn about today? God. Safe answer. No. It's true. Spiritual maturity has to come from God, so that's a good start. And some of you are are thinking, well, spiritual maturity has to come from the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit that produces things like patience and and produces things like kindness and gentleness, self-control. That's maturity. So good job if you figured out Holy Spirit. You get extra credit if you knew it was in Galatians 5. And then the list goes on. Some of you are thinking, well, spiritual maturity comes from the Bible, Extra credit, you're thinking John 17, where Jesus prays for believers and he prays for our spiritual maturity and that it happens in relationship to the word of God. And that's certainly true as well. We need God to do it. We need the spirit of God to empower us in light of the gospel. We we need the word of God as well so that we might grow spiritually. Some of you may have thought, well, you need the gospel to grow spiritually Romans chapter 1 would speak in those terms. Romans ends in those terms because the gospel isn't just for unbelievers. It's for believers. And and as we learn more about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, it, it conforms us into his image and it makes us grateful instead of prideful. And I suppose there are probably even others on the list. But there's one in particular that some of you probably can come up with. Others have forgotten it. And it's the church. That we need the church to become spiritually mature. And I don't know about you, we don't all come out of the same kind of background, and that's part of the beauty of the body of Christ. But at least some of you can relate when I say that was the last thing I thought when I used to think about spiritual maturity. I was raised in a church that didn't preach the gospel, didn't teach the Bible. Then I got converted because someone evangelized me, and the last thing in the world I needed was a church. I needed the Bible. I needed the Spirit. I needed God. I needed the gospel. But then, the more I read the Bible, I realized, oh, there are bad churches, and there are good churches, and... Oh, as a matter of fact, we see like in Ephesians 4, which is where we're going to be today, in Ephesians chapter 4, spiritual growth happens, spiritual maturity happens, not when you're alone with your Bible and the Spirit of God. Spiritual growth happens, at least in part, in the environment of other believers, and it happens in the church. The church is 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 building itself up, maturing itself up in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, talks about this. And so I had to come full circle, and... Some of you are similar, and it makes it even harder because we live in a culture that says things like, I'm spiritual, but I don't need organized religion. Translation, I'm spiritual, but I don't need the church. And sometimes people say, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I'm not a church kind of Christian. And I don't know about you, but I have some sympathies with that. I I can empathize because the church does some pretty nutty things. And a lot of crazy things are done in the name of organized religion. But when we read our Bibles, we hear things like Jesus bought the church with his own blood. We hear Jesus saying, like in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And then we realize and we mature to at least a level that says, as I'm maturing, I realize I need the Spirit of God. I need God. I need the Bible. Yes, I need the gospel. Yes, and I need the church. I need other believers. So I want to remind you of that today in Ephesians chapter 4, as we focus on the diversity in the church. Okay, last week we talked about the unity in the church, where we're we we're, we have one God, we have one Father, we have one Savior, we have one Spirit, one baptism, and and part of maturing is getting along with each other. And now today we're going to talk about how we're totally different in other ways, and how we need each other to grow spiritually. So if you're not already in Ephesians chapter four, I encourage you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians four where. This morning, we'll look at verses 7 to 10 as we talk about diversity in the church. Last time, we wanted to have an aggressive pursuit of unity on a practical level, and that's going to help us to become mature, and today we're going to look at the diversity that we might have. Verses four, or excuse me, verses seven to ten is where we'll focus. And we're focusing on diversity in the church, and we, we actually want that diversity. We need that diversity to be a mature church, a growing church, spiritually growing church. And he talks about spiritual gifts in particular. But just to catch the flow of verse seven, when he says, But grace was given to each one of us? We really can't appreciate it unless we go back to the verses before. And In verse 3, if you look with me, he talked about being uh, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So there's unity of Spirit. Verse 4 says, one body, one Spirit, one hope. Verse 5 says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6 says, one God and Father of all all, and over all, and through all, and in all. And so there's unity, 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 unity. And then all of a sudden it's... And we're, we're meant to have whiplash. It gets our attention because then he says, but grace was given to each one of us. And now we're on the road to sing diversity. One, 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 one together, each one of us. It's important that we understand that if Omaha Bible Church is going to be a place for maturity, if Omaha Bible Church is going to be maturing, and that would include individuals as well as holistically, we've got to understand that we do need to be united, which is a no-brainer if we have the same Savior. That's what we talked about last time. But we also need to realize that we're different and that we actually need our differences in the midst of our unity. Pretty straightforward, I know, conceptually, really hard to live out practically. And here's what I've been praying for, by the way. I've been praying that my sermon wouldn't stop right there. So I haven't been praying, Lord, please help me to be really articulate today. I've given up on asking the Lord for that. Um, (laughs) help me to preach a really good sermon that people will really like maybe giving up on that too but I sincerely have been praying and have prayed this morning that God would have our hearts be receptive that we would listen and embrace what God's word would have for us as a church so that we would be maturing as a church because otherwise I know I can sermonize and it just kind of falls right there. It's kind of like when you're having a dream and you're trying your hardest to throw something and you can only throw it like six inches. You ever had a dream like that? Maybe your dream's different. You're trying to hit someone to protect someone, you know, and you're like, and you can't do it. It's like you're the quarterback and in the dream you've got to throw the the winning touchdown or whatever and and you throw it right to the center instead of the receiver. I'm that quarterback in the dream. And I'm trying to throw the pass to you and I'm only going to hit the center. That's how this will work. Apart from God enlivening, supernaturally, engaging, maybe convicting you. Otherwise it's, beep, turn it off. So hopefully... We see some fruit. I'm going to draw conclusions about spiritual gifts. That's how we're going to see the diversity today, toward maturity. So I have a list of of conclusions. You can jot them down if you're a note taker. You certainly don't have to do that. But here are some conclusions about gifts that emphasize diversity. And we need the the diversity for maturity. And the first conclusion I'm going to write down, I wrote down, was that, that this passage is talking about spiritual gifts. I realize that's super basic, but it's often been overlooked as such. So look at verse 7 if you would. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, that doesn't sound like spiritual gifts. That's why it's puzzling to us. We read verse 7 and we think he's talking about salvation. Grace was given. That sounds like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Um, why, why would we say this is a spiritual gift passage? Because in the greater context and in the flow of things, the end of verse 8 tells us. He's still talking about the same thing at the end of verse 8. And it says, he gave gifts to men. And so just like Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4, the spiritual gift passages, sometimes we forget Ephesians 4 is one of those passages. So add it to the list. When he's talking about giving us grace in the context, he's talking about giving us these gifts. And so we need to remember that, and it'll help us have a richer perspective on spiritual gifts and the importance. And amazingly, it's going to be tied to the work of Christ on our behalf, his gift to us in salvation and his gifts to us in the church. Another conclusion would be every Christian has been gifted. Every Christian has been gifted. Show of hands, please, if you don't mind. How many of you have ever heard that before? Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Yeah, most of you have heard it and that's why you're trying to turn me off right now. Don't be a sinner, be a receiver, okay? <laughs> We've all heard that before. Every Christian has a gift. Maybe that's not true. Maybe not everyone has heard that before. Many of us have. And we're going to talk about that and why that's important. But look at verse 7. It says, "By grace, But grace was given to each one of us. That's why we would say things like that as pastors, as Christians. Each one of us have been given this kind of grace. Not just saving grace. This is each one of us grace as in the end of verse 8. A gift. And we see this as, as a repeated theme in the Bible. If you would, I'll invite you to turn to First Peter chapter 4. First uh, Peter is where we did our scripture reading earlier this morning. So if you need a page number, it's in the bulletin toward the end of the Bible. And if you would, if you just put a bulletin there or something afterward, because we're going to come back to it. So we're going to go there now. We're going to come back to it. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, it's going to say the same thing. Each one of us has been given a gift. Every Christian has been given a gift. If you don't have a spiritual gift... You're what? If you don't have a spiritual gift, you're not a Christian. Because to each one of us has been given a grace gift. So, as you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one has received a special gift. That's all I want to just see for now, but just put a marker there. And then back to our verse, each one of us has been given this grace. And so God graciously and kindly was speaking to those who went to public school like me. And he says, each one, each one, each one, just in case you're slow on the uptake, each one. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. And so I'm getting fired up about it and motivated because apparently we don't hear this very clearly and God keeps saying it clearly. And so I'm trying to say it to you clearly. If you're a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift. If you're a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift. I've been given a spiritual gift. All Christians have one. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, in fact, this morning, very little time on specifically what they are, somewhat by design. There's a time and place for that. We'll talk a little bit about it later. I just want you to know that God has given you some kind of supernatural ability, whether you know what it is or or whether you don't, some kind of supernatural ability that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you. And it's in the greater context of Ephesians 4 for maturity in the church. It's all we really need to know for now. But it's to each one, to each one, to each one. And so it's not, well, those who were Nice got spiritual gifts, and those who were naughty didn't. Ephesians 2 would have us all in the naughty category, okay? But to each one, it's not the haves and the have-nots. Sometimes people say, oh, Omaha Bible Church, you go to Omaha Bible Church, do you believe in the gifts there? Now, I know what they mean. But I don't like to play within their categories. And I say, absolutely, we believe in the gifts there. Of course we believe in the gifts because everyone who's a Christian has been given a gift. To each one, to each one, to each one. And so I sure hope you say we believe in the gifts there. Now what they mean is do you believe in all the spiritual gifts existing, you know, always and forevermore? That's a whole other topic. I don't believe that the gift of apostleship is still functioning today. And they're asking me really about things like that. But don't don't relegate yourself to saying, no, we don't believe in spiritual gifts at Omaha Bible Church. Well, then we're not Christians. (laughs) Because all Christians have been given a gift. It says it right here. Each one. Some kind of supernatural ability. Now, he doesn't spell it out here. But by careful inference, I would say, in light of the other passages like 1 Corinthians 12, The assumption is that no one has been given all of them. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the church for maturity. That's a real important point. I don't have every spiritual gift. By the way, if I had every spiritual gift, I wouldn't need you. I wouldn't need to be here. And all I would need is my Bible and the Spirit. If you had every spiritual gift, you wouldn't need me. And so we have to remember that when we act like we don't need the church functionally, we're acting like we've been given every spiritual gift. That's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. How about on a different level? If my family is going to grow spiritually, if my wife and my children are going to grow spiritually, they need you, they need the church. This is important because in certain circles, what ends up being emphasized is the dad, in a sense, is the only one who brings about spiritual maturity in the life of his family. Though it's never said, that's saying that the dad has every spiritual gift. For maturity, we need our Bibles, we need the Spirit of God, we need the Gospel, we need God to do it, but we need each other. For the building up of itself, Christ gave gifts to each one. We need to remember that. If Omaha Bible Church is going to be increasing in health, we've got to remember every Christian has been gifted. Let's look at another conclusion. Pretty simple one. Gifts are just that. Gifts are gifts. Verse 7 again, grace was given to each one of us, so grace means gift, so gift was given, given was given, grace was graced, grace was given, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So just like your new life, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, just like your new life was given as a gift, your giftedness was given as a gift. That doesn't mean it didn't cost anything, as a matter of fact, we're going to see it cost a whole lot because it's tied to the work of Christ. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Sort of like when you're given a gift by your maybe mother-in-law or something and it's not valuable uh, because you didn't have to pay for it and you didn't really want it to begin with. No, Christ gave you a gift and it has to do with His work on your behalf. It's very valuable even though it was free to you. Furthermore, it's a gift, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any obligations. You know how when somebody gives you a gift and you get this strange sense that there are strings attached? And you think maybe this isn't really that kind of, it's not really a gift. Well, I don't want it to sound bad, but the gift God has given you for the benefit of others, as we'll see, has strings attached. Back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Back to 1 Peter chapter 4, he, we, we see something of the strings. So it, it's a gift, it, it, it's free, we don't earn it, it's tied to the work of Christ on our behalf, but it's very valuable because it, the church needs it for spiritual maturity. Individuals in the church need it for spiritual maturity, but there are certainly obligations And I love 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 in this conversation because it says, as each has received a gift, we already saw that, he says, use it. Okay, how? To serve one another. Oh, then keep going. As good stewards. Oh, those are the strings that are attached of God's varied grace. Use it as good stewards. And so so I want to be in preaching mode. You know, if you're sitting here thinking, I feel like you're preaching to me. I'm a preacher. (laughs) I'm tracking with you. I've made made a connection. (laughs) This is a church. We do preaching. We have a history of it. (laughs) But but in all seriousness, he clearly shows the strings by saying, use it. Each one. Use it. So the rubber meets the road here. And you know what? If you have a spiritual gift, and you do if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you don't have one. But put it the other way, if you don't have one, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have some sort of supernatural ability from God for the benefit of other people, for the maturing of other people in the church. And he says, use it, even in command mode. And so I'm preaching in command mode. In light of the gospel, in light of the, the, the work of Christ... Use your spiritual gift. It's a command from God. Almighty. Pretty serious business. Pretty serious business. Let's move on to another conclusion. We'll come back to that one, so don't get too comfortable. Um, (laughs) Gifting is Christ's sovereign prerogative. Another conclusion, gifting is Christ's sovereign prerogative. We we are not past verse 7 yet. We'll move into verse 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That, that, that could be about the sovereignty of Christ because it's it's His gift and according to the measure of His gift. But then again, at the end of verse 8, we see it even more pronounced. He gave gifts to men. He is the one who did it. Now, you might want to just write in your margin, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, verse 11, that helps us to see it even more so. Listen to what it says there. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually. And here's where it really is emphasized. As He wills. Oh, that's sovereign prerogative. So He gives one to every single Christian graciously we don't earn it and he does so as he wills so if you're a Christian you're gifted and you're gifted according to the sovereign will of God the person next to you if they're a Christian they're gifted and they're gifted according to the sovereign will of God differently but equally for the building up of the body of Christ for maturity so equal purpose Equal purpose. This helps me because it helps me not to be self-focused, but to keep my eyes on my responsibilities and not your responsibilities. It might help me from not, from having, keep me from having gift envy. God, why have you called me to be this and not that? Makes me think of gift exchanges. I hate gift exchanges. (laughs) You know? I always want somebody else's gift. Let's be honest. I just want the gift I bought. (laughs) That's not always true. But you laugh because you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I always get the dumb gift. Or somehow I get a good gift and somebody else takes my good gift. Maybe this is more how the church really works. (laughs) It's not how the church is supposed to work, but so many times it's how it ends up working. It's not like that. I've been given a gift by the Lord Jesus Christ for the benefit of others and their maturity and the building up of the church ultimately. Jesus gave it as He wills. And so it would be really good for me to embrace that. It would be good for you to embrace that too. Now, I think it makes some sense, though, why sometimes I have gift envy. I'm speculating now this isn't scripture, so you have to believe the Bible stuff. You can take this or leave it. Sometimes I want somebody else's gift. And maybe for right reasons, in a sense. Here's what I mean. Let's say you're a mature Christian, you've been gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and and you are committed to prayerfully, thoughtfully, passionately using your giftedness. Not for your own exaltation, because after all, it's for others anyway, but actually for the good of others and for their maturity, and that's the kind of person you are. If that's true, you're going to have a kind of joy Because you're doing what you're gifted to do. And you're not self-centered. You're actually centered on other people. You're going to have a kind of demeanor that is a healthy, mature kind of demeanor. And you know what? That's attractive. There's something about you that I want. That's helpful for me at least. To say, you know what? I need to learn from that. I need to learn from that and and if I'm doing the very things that I've been called by God to do and doing so prayerfully and thoughtfully not for my exaltation but for the benefit of other people, you know what? Actually now I am going to be like that other person who's gifted differently in that I'm going to have a kind of joy and passion that they have even though we're doing different things. Practically that's helpful for me. You can take it or leave it. But you'd think if we're doing what we're supposed to do, there's something about that is that is enviable, that is attractive, enviable in the right kind of sense, a Psalm 1 kind of sense. And so look for other people who maybe you'd like to be like because they have a sense of joy and motivation. And But don't try to be just like them. Try to do what God has called you to do. And you'll be like them in another sense. And then one we often overlook, and that's another conclusion. Gifts are associated with the victory and humility of Christ. This is the one I starred on on the list of conclusions because it's maybe overlooked oftentimes and it's so helpful. Gifts are associated with the victory and humility of Christ. Look at verse 8 now with me if you would. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high. This is when you hear the hallelujah. You know, this is like, oh, this is great. This is the triumph. This is the great part. When he victoriously, magnificently, powerfully ascended on high. He led a host of captives. He's the one who, who frees. And he, he gave gifts to men. That's surprising to me. I feel kind of cheated that when I've heard so many different things about spiritual gifts, I didn't hear about this. You know, I just got the spiritual gift inventory, have to have a number two pencil and, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm overstating it. There's a place for a spiritual gift inventory um, to try to figure out where you're gifted and that sort of thing. Um, We're just not talking about them this morning. I think there's a place for that sort of thing. We'll talk about it on a practical level later. But for now, how about, tell me this part. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He victoriously is the King and Conqueror, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. When He ascended, what did He do? He gave gifts. And now all of a sudden, it's a lot less obligation. Got to fill in the dots and come to some kind of conclusion that I don't really understand anyway. And now all of a sudden, I'm motivated and I don't even know what the gifts are. I'm finding myself at the edge of my seat saying, well, if it's associated with His exaltation and He is my Lord and He is my Savior, just just tell me to do something. I think the motivation is really here i think this is this is where what really is what's so attractive maybe maybe do this if you would turn to chapter one Let, let's see the exalted christ and we've artificially not read the whole, you know we've just started in chapter four today but remember it's a letter and so we're, we're going to connect some dots here if you're the kind of person that only writes in your bible once a year get your pen out um Ephesians 1.21, let's connect that with our verse in chapter 4, verse 8. What, what What is it that he ascended on high? What does this exaltation look like? And he's giving gifts. Chapter 1, verse 21, here's, here's how he's exalted. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. There he is! And from His exalted state, He gives gifts to us. If we had any kind of connection to that in our minds, I think we might do a lot better job using our spiritual giftedness. I might be more motivated to to, want to use my giftedness for others because of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and His exaltation. He left us not with weak, impotent, powerless tools for spiritual maturity any less than he is weak, powerless, and impotent. He's the victor and he gave us gifts for spiritual victory, if you will. Spiritual maturity. How about this? Let's put it another way. So we don't need something else to bring about spiritual maturity any more than the Lord Jesus Christ needs to do something more. To be a good savior, there's nothing more to be done. And if the one who has nothing more to be done has given us gifts, let's call them tools for a moment, for the building up of, for the maturity of, the church doesn't need anything else for spiritual maturity. Here's what we need as a church. Well, we need, yes, we need God. We need the Spirit of God. We need our Bibles, absolutely. We need the Gospel. And we need you, each one, to get up off your chair and do something for the benefit of others and the maturity of the body of Christ because you've been uniquely gifted by God to do this. I'm preaching again. I'm a preacher I'm a pastor. The Bible says pastors are to be under shepherds because you're under the chief shepherd whose name is Jesus. And so I'm trying to do my best to represent what Jesus would have you to know. He's the exalted Savior and in His exaltation He gave gifts for the maturity of His body which is the church. And this is a local church. It's a manifestation of that and and each one. And if we're going to have maturity... Each one. So I'm trying to be as passionate about that as I can be. He gave you a spiritual gift for the benefit of others. He, the exalted one. Makes me want to praise him. Makes me want to praise him, but it also makes me want to do something with it. It's not like the weird necktie that your mother in law gave you. It's not that kind of gift. Sorry, mother in laws. Why do we always take shots at mother in laws? They're all so wonderful. Let's make another connection. Let's, let's rivet our attention for a moment on the greatness and the grandeur of the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is and every Christian's going to find that to be true. Everyone who's really a Christian is going to say, oh yes, tell me about how great Christ is and tell me about His exaltation. I want to worship Him. Every true Christian would, would find that appealing. Biological connection, therefore every true Christian... Would want to use what the exalted Savior has given him, given them. It just makes sense. You know what I'm guilty of? I'm guilty of focusing on one or the other, giftedness. Do 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 do. Or Christ exalted, Christ exalted, Christ exalted, and it's either you know theology or practice. It's amazing how the Bible is perfectly wedding the two together. Very, very amazing. But then, there's the other side of it. The humility of Christ in verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? I think it's kind of humorous that that's posed as a question. Because it's posed as a question and that verse has led to many, many questions. (laughs) What does it mean that he descended? Um, I, I, I think my basic take at it is, and I'm in pretty good company, I think, if it's talking about the ascension and the descension, if you will, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He descended to earth. I think this is talking about his, his incarnation, his humiliation in that sense. We're not going to emphasize that today, but I think that's the idea what he's getting at. But, but here's what I do want to emphasize today. Jesus humbled himself and became one of us. It wasn't just so he could give us spiritual gifts. But please do know that he humbled himself so that he could give us spiritual gifts. And not only for that reason, but it's part of the deal. He humbled himself. He descended and he ascended gloriously and Related to that great work, holistically, he gave gifts to human beings like us. So that his body, that he redeemed by his work of coming and going, we could become mature and not be Christians in diapers all the time. Sucking our thumbs. Fighting with each other. Growing up spiritually because we're serving and we're helping and we're using our supernatural abilities. And so in one sense, our serving, our use of giftedness shows what kind of gospel we believe in. Which is troubling and encouraging all at the same time. Okay, let's move on. Let's move to another conclusion, and then we'll get things wrapped up. Another conclusion, we've, I've already mentioned it again and again and again, but just to spell it out one more time, final conclusion, gifts are for the maturing of the church. Gifts are for the maturing of the church, and I'm not going to point to one verse. I think that's the whole thrust of chapter 4. Verse 16, certainly, if you want to write down a verse, verse 16, from whom the whole body, remember it was each one, so each one makes up the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, emphasizing, remember, each one with which it is equipped, when each part, so that's similar to each one, is working properly, notice that we're working, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And it's using maturity kind of language. Even in chapter 4, verse 13, talks about this mature body, mature manhood, fullness, maturity. And so, once again, my prayer is that my sermon isn't stopping right here. This is for our maturity. Most of you, if you were asked, would you like to go to a mature church or an immature church? Most every one of us would say mature. So then the follow-up question is, what are you doing about it? Serving. Doing my part. I met a couple at a wedding this weekend. They visited here the newcomers' classes uh, a while back, and they they just disappeared. They left. I figured they weren't very happy, and I saw them at the wedding. And you know how those uncomfortable moments you're at a wedding, and you see somebody, and they're coming right at you. You're thinking, those are people that visited our church and left. Why are they walking here toward me? And where is there a petunia I can hide behind, you know, or something? Are they going to get me or, you know, what's happening? They came over and they were so nice and gracious and kind and got a job transfer, didn't make it through the class, went to a different city and we're going to this church now. And it was pleasant. I liked it. (laughs) But the reason I'm telling the story is um, because I said, so are you serving in the church? What are you guys doing? Which, by the way, is a great question to ask people. When I'm visiting, preaching somewhere else, that's one of the questions I always ask people. They're like, oh, you know, thanks for coming. Oh, so where do you serve in the church? It's a good question to ask. Anyway, all of that to say, oh, yeah, we're, we're plugged in. This is great. And I'm working in the bookstore. And, and I, I, I'm working on this whatever kind of team. And made my night. I thought, this is good. This is right. This is encouraging. I went over and told them later at the reception. Thank you for coming over and talking to me. And I'm so encouraged that you're serving in your church and that it's a church that values and prioritizes the gospel. Good job. If Omaha Bible Church is going to be a maturing church, notice I didn't say mature. A maturing church. You need to do something. You need to use your supernatural gifting for the benefit of other people. You know how the saying goes? 90% of the work is done by what? 10% of the people. That's really sad when it comes to the church. It's true. It's true for an immature church. I'm afraid sometimes we're becoming more and more immature. So I'm motivated to do something about it. I'm hoping you're motivated. In the fall, we're going to have a conference, um, and our speaker is R. Kent Hughes. Some of you would know his, his books, his ministry. He wrote a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man. His wife wrote a complimentary book for ladies. It's just a good, Christian, helpful book. He's written some other things, too. Very kind. Can be soft-spoken. You'll like him. But he was also a pastor for many, many years. And so he's willing to love people enough to say things like this. The bottom line for every Christian believer is that each one of us should be involved in some kind of church ministry. But those who have no place of service in the church are aberrations. An aberration. OBC shouldn't be in reality, Omaha Aberration Church, where people don't serve. It should be Omaha Bible Church where people know what the Bible says and respond appropriately. Don't be an aberration. Don't be an abhorrent Christian, which is a contradic- contradiction in terms. If you're feeling guilty, praise the Lord. If you're mad, you'll get over it. Maybe. Let's find ourselves drawn to Christ, the humbled and now exalted one who gave gifts to each one of us. Let's find ourselves motivated. You say, what do I do? Then what do I do? I can see some of you are on the edge of your seat. There's something in me that just wants to say I'm not going to tell you. In all all reality, there's something in me that just wants to say, we're done now. You know, God, God through his spirit works in the lives of the elect. And they do the right thing when they hear the word of God and they're motivated. So in one sense, I don't want to give you a list of how to's. You will be the squeaky wheel. You won't be able to stand it. You'll be like that new Christian who's like reporting for duty, sir. What do I do? Some of you are like that. Some of you have been like that. Some of you aren't. But I do want to say, you could start by looking at the biblical passages that talk about, gifted, talk about giftedness. This is one of them. 1 Peter chapter 4 is another one. Romans chapter 12 is another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is another one. And you'll be able to start saying, oh, this is what spiritual gifts look like. So, good starting point, open your Bibles today. Another good starting point would be to say, God, help me to know how you've uniquely gifted me. Another good step would be, I love this one, it's my, maybe my favorite. Do something. Do something. And then watch and allow the body of Christ, the church, the people of God, And see how they respond. And see how they help you to figure out how God has gifted you. And Omaha Bible Church will look more like Omaha Bible Church. And not Omaha Abhorrent Church. And Christ will be exalted. And you will have joy from doing the very thing Christ saved you to do. And it will be exciting. Lord, thank you so much for boldness, for compassion, for the truth, for the Lord Jesus Christ mostly. Stir up your people to act like Christians for the glory of Christ, for the good of others. Impress us. Impress us with a good and appropriate and fitting response to the preaching of Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.